Welcome back, all you weirdos, Krakoans, and everyone who pledged Delta Tau Chi at Faber College. It's time for yet another Weird Dose of X. I'm Jason. I'm here with Ruben, and I just got that intro on, uh, let's let's call it my second time through. Greek letters. I don't speak Lingo. Joe Ruben, how the heck are you today? I'm doing great. I'm really impressed that, that you got that out this time. Well, I mean, it's it's chilly down here in the basement. The fall has really hit. It's uh, officially sweater weather in my home studio, and all the quotation marks around studio. So maybe I'm just shivering from the cold and from anticipation as to this this really pretty darn good comic we're about to talk about. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. And the main story, I think, five issues in has been pretty good. Five issues. I'm still waiting for the disappointment shoe to drop, right? Like, But if he hits the landing in the last issue, this will be a good... We said last time that, boy, he's, he's swinging for the fence. He's not holding back. He's going big. And he <laughs> continues to go real big. You almost start to wonder, is he going too big? Because, well, we'll get to it, but a lot of this is going to have to just go away. Because this is not going to be the Marvel status quo going forward at the end of this event. It it just can't be. But, okay, so we are going to start off with, right into our books, we're going to talk about Judgment Day number five today, our, our main book. Then we'll talk about Avengers number 60 a little bit. That's Mark Russell writing a tie-in that's maybe kind of a tie-in. Not quite sure what memo he read, but uh, we'll be talking about that. And we'll at least mention that Fantastic Four number 47 is a is a thing that exists. So that is our plan today. So right into Axe Judgment Day number five, written by our head of Axe, Kieran Gillen, art by the amazing Valerio Shidi. And this is probably a good time to pause and say, wow, he's he's doing a hell of a job on this. It's so clear that all the characters look like themselves, the facial expressions on people like, you know, even Mr. Sinister here right on page one all these characters reacting to, you know, their big speech from Star Fox having not gone over so well. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he, he does the acting. He does just the, the size of it, the scope. It's it's really nice. And even if I don't, I know I don't often talk about the art because I don't know a whole lot about art, but I want to pause and say, hey, I'm going to criticize some choices that uh, Kieran Gillen makes in this issue, or at least wonder where they're going. I really don't have anything to say about Valerio Shidi except for that's a hell of a job, and I'd like this to be kind of the maybe not the same art in every book going forward because I like variety too. But if this is the style that becomes something like the model for these characters, I'd be I'd be pretty happy. Yeah, I actually have been kind of positive about the art on the core X Men book, but now I want Hilario Shitty to take over because <laughs> it's just cool. It it is exciting, dynamic, and um, clear. You know, I can follow the action scenes and. In my head, it's very cinematic. I think it's probably. Yep, I think there's there's like one panel later on where I'm not quite sure where it's taking place, but I, I think that's on purpose. So I'll give him a pass on that one. So yeah, I think this may be my favorite issue of this this main event book, and probably my favorite issue of the whole event so far. The heroes are we say last issue they were pushed to the brink. Here now that they, they are well beyond the brink. This you know they have they have totally overmatched, and it it made me think of uh, the words of Otter from Animal House, where he says. I think that this situation absolutely requires a really futile and stupid gesture be done on somebody's part. And that is what happens here. I mean, the plan they come up with is dumb and seems pointless, but what are they going to do? It's either that or lay down and die. And Captain America and our X-Men and our Avengers and our Eternals are not going to lay down and die. So here we are on the cover. I like to talk about the covers. We have uh, all of our heroes, all of our teams are A's, our X's, and our E's looking up in a variety of shock and horror and resolve, I guess, is the three main 
emotions here, and they seem to be in the shadow of this giant progenitor. And I notice once again, we have Zorus on the cover, and he has not appeared in the main book at all. He was in uh, Death to Mutants for a little bit, but I wonder if that's just a Mark Brooks, Brooks favorite that he's a, you know, a character he likes to draw. It's an interesting thing, just kind of going back to Eternal's lore. He is always sort of touted in the Kirby run as, you know, the best Eternal, the most powerful, yada, yada, yada. And then everything I've read since then, which is basically everything that had an Eternal's title in it, he maybe makes one appearance and every other time just kind of gets slapped down or ignored. He seems like he was supposed to be a big deal, but for whatever reason, people just have never made him that. He has a cool beard. And I guess if you're an artist, you know, wanted to draw that, you know, almost the, the mailman from Van Gogh kind of a beard on your cover, that's got to be tempting. He's supposed to be like the Zeus or Odin, you know, type character that maybe is too strong to have in day-to-day action. Yeah, but. he's he's almost like the hammer, you know, lurking in the background in case you need him. Okay, so as we remember, they tried this big speech from Star Fox, you know, your, your standard, you know, hero's speech in an event. And before he even finished talking, the progenitor said, yeah, no, that's stupid. You're out of time. You earthlings, humans, and everybody else suck. I'm just going to destroy the earth. And we saw this fire raining down on uh, Central Park and killing everyone except Captain America. So now we see the heroes who were right there physically in front of the progenitor uh, turning and running and flying away as fast as they possibly can, which... You know, I think that's a, a reasonable reaction to <laughs> to all their plans going horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah, and we see the progenitor basically not all at once, but kind of raining down apocalypse on everything. Some lightning yeah, crackling and more of the earth is still alive at the beginning of this issue than I expected. Because at the end of last issue, we only saw what happened around Captain America and looked like you know just fire everywhere. So I don't know why he particularly chose that area to lay the most waste to right away. I gather than, you know, it's cool to, to put in a comic book. But uh, yeah, he's kind of being a little more methodical about this. Could be the people that he judged. Well, I guess he judged Captain America inadequate as well. I was just thinking maybe the idea was go after the ones that got judged as failing first and then finish. Yeah, but we have off. a lot of our civilians here, many of whom who failed, and some of them just got beat up by Eastern Europeans or whatever and... and so we do turn to our, our our six civilians, including the one who replaced uh, Kamali, who replaced her, her deceased husband. And yeah, really, they all kind of had some kind of comeuppance. They've all learned something. And really, I think that's the, the lesson of this page is they've all kind of grown as people, even the ones we're not supposed to be so sympathetic to, like like Tom there, who had kind of an ethnic run-in, but now he, he feels a little bit, uh, you know, he gets a talking to from his kid. He feels a little bit better. Jada, who was our uh, protester, uh, anti-mutant protester, she's kind of seeing the world in a different way. And she actually goes forward. She comes out of that one page, and uh, she goes up and has a, a cup of coffee for Captain America, which, do you think she bought this before the apocalypse, or do you think that Starbucks is still open? <laughs> I love this issue, so let me let me get that out of the way first. But And I love this, this scene is sort of touching. You know, they sit down and share a coffee, and um, she actually inspires... Steve to kind of get back in the fight, which is very different, right? Like he's normally the one that inspires. And so, yeah, I like all that. But the two coffee thing, I, I sort of, and the fact, I guess, one, buying coffee at all, but as well as I'm like, she's walking around with two cups of coffee and I'm a coffee fiend, right? But I don't think I've gotten to the point where I buy two drinks for myself. So was this an attempt to give him some coffee for standing up against the protesters? Like, I mean, she was kind of. Oh, yeah. I around. think she definitely. 
bought that. I think she definitely bought that second cup of coffee in mind of giving it to uh, to Steve Rogers there. I think that was always the plan. I just I'm not sure how how the destruction's going on here. Like, is the whole world is it? It's it's inconsistent. We'll see that in some other books too. It's very inconsistent just how much panic and destruction is going on. The fire was raining down, and she was like, "Make my damn coffee." <laughs> You're not allowed to leave the Starbucks. I said light with three sugars. Three. Maybe she made it herself. Maybe she went back. Yeah, she has. She has this really nice chat here. I mean, (laughs) he looks kind of depressed. Which I mean, granted, he's he's been through some stuff already. And yeah, she has a nice conversation with him. And it's it's overall, this is kind of a Captain America issue. Yeah, basically, she says, "Hey, you know, I knew we were going to fail. I'm a pessimist, but you know, this world sucks. But I want to believe that it's better than." You know, I believe. And I knew you were going to fail, but you know, I'm glad you tried anyway because you're Captain America, and, and that's that's what you should do. And that helps me kind of face the horrors of the world, knowing that some people think that we could live somewhere better than what we've got. So we're going to talk a lot about Cap in this issue. I'm going to say up front, this may be the best Captain America issue I've read in several years. It's it's certainly better than either of the two Captain America ongoings right now. We get more of his heroism, more of his character more of his, you know, being a human being and also a hero at the same time than I've seen anywhere else. So if Yeah, uh, there's just some cool stuff. And I think I, I caught on to it early on where I thought, hey, it was awesome that he got judged as inadequate and yet still continued to fight. We still get that here, right? Like no matter how beaten down he is, even when he sort of doubts himself, just takes a little bit of, you know, encouragement from somebody else and he's right back to being the, the hero. Yeah, so if Kieran Gillen isn't going to be writing the Eternals going forward, and if his run on Immortal X-Men ends around 12, like we kind of think it will, I wouldn't uh, mind seeing him on a Captain America book. I know we have two Captain America books already, but uh, you know, down the line, I'd, I'd be curious to see what he has to do with uh, that classic I'd character. I'd check it out so, for sure. I read the Captain America a lot as a kid and have not since the 90s, uh, mostly because I've heard a lot of bad stuff about it, but I would check it out for sure. So at the end of that conversation, we have Nightcrawler show up and uh, says, "Okay, Cap, you've, you've had your you've had your coffee, you've had your little encouragement. Now it's time to get up off your uh, keister and and uh, and do something." And his plan is that you, Captain America, should go give this false god a piece of your mind, which I think is a nice a nice writing of uh, Nightcrawler here too. Now I'm not sure exactly where this plan is coming from. Did did they already have a discussion back with the other mutants, with any particular group, with the Quiet Council? Is Cap in on the plan, or is this Nightcrawler just saying, here, let's let's do this, this futile and stupid gesture? I mean, he seemed to think that we needed to prevent, you know, people just rioting and killing each other as the world goes to hell, right? Mm-hmm. This could very much be just a Nightcrawler thing yeah. that and they he's a run good guy with, too, right? and then they go with, oh, absolutely. So, and, and it's good that we don't know what the plan is. Now, if we as readers knew the plan, it would not be nearly as effective. So he takes Cap and they bamf, bamf, bamf all the way to the Arctic up there by the progenitor. And uh, there must be a plan because Nightcrawler says, hey, the professor is linking this to everyone, which is basically you're, you're on mental TV. The whole world is seeing what's happening here. And we get a great speech here where it's pretty inspiring. I mean, maybe I'm just a sucker for this kind of a talk, but... Unlike the, um, the Star Fox speech, which I was like, oh, God, this is so hokey, right? Um, reading the Captain America speech here, it actually sort of maybe do a little bit of a fist bump. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it is kind of corny and hokey, but that's what Steve Rogers should sound like, right? He's from the 1930s and 40s. He shouldn't sound like every other quippy modern 
Marvel character. So he he should be a man out of time. So I also love that we start to get the uh, narration boxes here from the progenitor, who is confused. Like, what is the what are you doing here? This is futile. This is pointless. Why why are they showing this to the world? Why are you just showing the rest of the world how doomed you are? So yeah, Cap gives a speech about standing before tyrants and you know what this was like this in 1940, and it's not over. We're all Avengers now. Assemble and avenge. Now Avengers Assemble has been said so many times. You know. Like Chris would always laugh about the to me, my X-Men that's overused. But it I get I mean, I get the little tingle here when I, I read those lines because because of the gravitas around it, because of what's happened, because of the art. I mean, you see Captain America's face here and you know what he's doing, what he's feeling. This does allow me to troll anybody who ever writes an article about like who's your favorite Avenger from now on. Because <laughs> technically we are now all Avengers, correct? Or do you deceive? Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say like Jada, coffee girl Jada. My favorite Avenger is Sabretooth. <laughs> I guess that's right. Yeah, he was uh inducted into the, the Brotherhood. So we he this is Captain America standing up and challenging the progenitor, and do we get a whole multi page battle with splash pages and back and forth in a struggle? No. We get one tiny little widescreen panel zoomed way, way out. So we can't even see Cap, and even the progenitor himself is just, you know, a centimeter or two high on the page. And then the next panel we see Cap's dead and Nightcrawler's dead and just smoking. There was there was no challenge here. There was no fight. There was defiance in the face of overwhelming power, a stupid and futile gesture. But damn, that's exactly what we needed right now. So we turn the page, and I'm pretty sure this is a record between a character death and a character resurrection. Uh, one panel. Between a panel, yep. <laughs> Just, it's not even page to page. It is dead in one panel. Resurrect on the next panel, we see Nightcrawler coming out of a, an egg. She says, I'm back. Gene, how did it go down? So yeah, they had they had a plan here. I, I am curious how much Nightcrawler filled Cap in on the plan. Uh, and Gene says, yeah, it's, it's, it's what we needed. The world's both calm, but it's, it's still angry. But the anger is now more directed and less panicky, I guess. Uh, and and Nightcrawler is going to head back out. Says, "Hey, egg, get another egg ready for me. I'll probably be back soon." Uh, and yeah, this is a fantastic Nightcrawler. He was hesitant about the whole resurrection protocols for a while, which made sense. But in the face of this, what he calls this parody of God, who wants to cast us into the fires, I reject it. I reject this. We're going to love and live and fight. He says to Wolverine. And so yeah, if he has to go through resurrection protocols to do that, he's going to do it. And that. That's my Nightcrawler. I love that. And they mentioned the spark. <laughs> yeah, a little mention, which is just just enough. We don't yeah. need to go into his whole book of the spark. And yeah, I was never totally bought into that. But just to have the mention there is cool. So now they definitely have a plan. There's the Quiet Council, plus some Avenger friends, mostly Tony and uh, Eros is there. And maybe a couple other, you know, non-X-Men hanging around. I think that's Fastos, you know. Basically, the ones who are still around, they say have this one more plan. Uh, they do this kind of thing very quickly that the Eternals cannot attack a Celestial, right? It's one of their, they only have three big rules and protect the Celestials is, is way up there. So very quickly say, hey, we're going to drop our firewall. So if anyone wants to hack into us and like take us over and make us punch the god, you can do that now. Yeah. And I guess That's I'm glad there's not a whole- around. It's it's kind of super quickly done, which makes it feel a little bit too easy, but I'm also glad we don't get a whole 
separate issue or miniseries talking about this. So I'll take it. And Destiny approves uh, of this plan as our only chance with certain modifications. And then we turn the page and now we get the masked battle. We get a page was very much like we had a page in uh, issue number three, which was the attack that turned into the big fake out. But in that battle, we also had some opposition because back then the Eternals, really some of the Eternals were defending the Celestials. So we had kind of characters coming from two sides of the page. Now we have everyone, Avengers, X-Men, Eternals, hey, have all three in the title, including the Hex are there and Dupe is there for some reason. I don't know why Dupe is here again. He was also in that last big battle scene. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, hey, I, I think maybe he's a Valerio Shidi favorite. Maybe he wasn't even in the script, but Shidi said, hey, what the hell? I'll just draw Dupe in this battle looking super tough, which makes me laugh. Uh, yeah. There's and some this humans is, here with military jets. Yeah, only a couple on this page, but uh, later on we see there's a whole bunch of, you know, not just the, the superhumans on Earth joining in. We get some regular, I don't know if it's American or at least, you know, human military. We get to see the uh, two of the Fantastic Four, just Sue and, oh no, I guess they are all there. Yeah, all the Fantastic Four are there. Yeah, it's the whole whole crew, even even uh, Moon Knight, Captain Marvel, all of them. And we also hear that the Hex are going to be piloted by the Cuckoos. So we said that the, the Eternals, I guess, can't really do this on their own, but they can have their bodies kind of taken over. So the Hex are going to be really big and important here. At least they hope so. So now we get the narration coming from the point of view of the Progenitor, who is again talking about why... Why are they doing this? Yeah, sure, the Hex are probably the biggest and strongest. Uh, they're giving me a little bit of a trouble. They kind of tie up the progenitor for a little bit. They allow all of the like psychics and energy projectors to do a big old zappy zap blast to the progenitor. Doesn't do any harm to him. Uh, Thor comes in, hits him with the giant hammer, and that looks like it's going to be, oh, is this going to be when the tide turns? Is this when the progenitor is defeated? No, it's not. Yeah, he just annihilates everybody. But in an artsy way, quote unquote, according to him, he wants to give people, I guess, memorable deaths. So he does things like turning Thor unworthy. And so he skin like, you know, melts off. He burns to death all the firepowered heroes. Um, gosh, I don't want to go through all the deaths, but basically he just kind of murders everybody. I'm not sure how much we're supposed to think that the progenitor is being creative and artistic here, or how much we're supposed to think. You're just, we, I think maybe we're supposed to think, well, that was kind of lame on your part. You're not actually doing anything creative. You're just blowing everybody up. And we see he thinks that- he's creative, at least, when he's talking about how I try to kill creatively. And we, we see, for instance, that the, the, the Stepford Cuckoos from the Backlash, they all die. We see Thor die. We see Captain Marvel die. And Cyclops gets blasted by his own spider Al Almost everybody. You know, there's a few people escape. We see that the Earth, I guess this is New York City, which is now we see that the plane has crashed and bridges are down. And again, it looks like this city, at least, is completely destroyed. We see a, a small group of wealthy humans try to escape Earth in a spaceship. And yeah, that doesn't work either. They get killed on their way. and. Once again, the progenitor does like so confused what is going on. So it turns to the Earth. It says, I've told the Earth to end. The planet itself has said no. I will thrash it into obedience. And I think this is the only thing keeping it from being 100% over now, right? The only thing resisting is the Earth itself, which is kind of our, our hero at the moment. Well, we don't hear from the Earth in this issue, 
I wonder if the Death to Mutants tie-in is going to be in the same time period. Are we going to hear from the Earth's point of view and what it's trying to do to resist? That could be that could be very interesting. So now we go to after that attack, we regroup at Avengers Mansion, and who's still alive? Well, we've got uh, Cap, uh, Captain, uh, not Cap. Uh, we have Iron Man, we have Fastos, Nightcrawler, Cersei, and Eros. We see uh, some eggs being hatched. We see Wolverine coming out of an egg. We see, I think that's probably Jean coming out of an egg. So they've got a small group of, you know, pretty, pretty sad people here. And, but I guess this was kind of the plan, at least the backup plan. Like, sure, okay, one in a million shot, maybe our actual attack would work. But their real plan seemed to be to make the Celestial think that it killed all of them, which I'm not sure I buy that because it's the Celestial. Shouldn't it know? And everything, the whole cosmic awareness deal, it should know, oh, some of them are being reborn, some of them are survived. So I don't know exactly if I totally buy this plan. I mean, maybe you could just write it off as saying the Earth is messing with it, and it is. Okay, I'll take that. I like that one. That's uh, I'll give you uh, the empty envelope no prize for the Earth masking the progenitor's cosmic awareness that some of the heroes survived. So we had our first quote-unquote attack was... Uh, Captain America getting getting reduced to toast. We had our second attack was this massive battle that utterly failed. Now we're having a third attack on the progenitor, this one being kind of a, a secret strike force. And this one is going to be led, or at least maybe chaperoned, by Jack of Knives. And we get a, a, little, a nice little chat here between him and Wolverine, where uh, uh, Jack of Knives apologizes for, I'm sorry I nearly stabbed that red-headed resurrecting girl of yours. Which is when he tried to, you know, get hope on Krakoa, and and Wolverine, you know, smelled his absence, I guess, and and fixed that. And Wolverine accepts his apology and says, "No, no, no, I'm sorry, I nearly stabbed her." And he says, "If I'd done the job right, would have won the war and wouldn't be in this mess." Which again, I don't think the Eternals would necessarily have won, but a fun line, so we'll give it to him. So now our little team heads off back to the Arctic, back to the foot of the progenitor. They're cloaked, but of course that doesn't work at all. Uh, Jack of Knives decides he's going to be a distraction, a diversion. Uh, he says, hey, Celestial, be seeing you. And he puts his hand up. I don't know if this is a reference to the old uh, 1960s prisoner TV show, but I'm going to say it is because I love that show. And of course, he gets toasted immediately, just like Captain America did. But in the meantime, somehow, and I'm not quite sure how, the rest of the team, who appear to be Iron Man and Mr. Sinister and Makari and Ajax, and Jean Grey, and Wolverine, and Cersei? Yeah. Those seem to be inside the Celestial now, I guess? Is that what you think they are? Yeah, they have to be, for sure, inside. This is the panel where I'm not quite sure exactly where they are. But again, I think that's supposed to be on purpose because that story will be going forward. Now, I do know we have these three Kieran Gillen written one-shots coming up, right? Axe Avengers, Axe X-Men, and Axe Eternals. And I can't help but notice, I haven't looked at solicits, I, I stay away from those, but the cover images on those books, you know, it's one character on each. You have Iron Man, Jean Grey, and Ajax, and they're all part of the strike team. So I wonder if those three one-shots are basically going to be the miniseries story of what's going on here. That's that's my little semi-prediction for today, which could be fun. And that's fine, yeah, because to your point, it's sort of unclear. They arrive and somehow they get inside. Yep, they added uh, a Star Fox one-shot, also by Gillen, later on, 
and he's not part of this team, and, and that was added later. So I, I, that'll be some sort of a separate thing. Probably not as as vital, I'm going to guess. So we're almost done. We get to the finale, and this this is a big scene here. This is the scene that everyone's talking about. This is the scene that everyone's arguing about. I've seen at least five different YouTube videos, you know, thumbnails going by of people being very, very angry about the scene, or at least, you know, acting easy, a- angry for the uh, the clicks. And we're back at the mansion once again, and we have an argument between mostly Nightcrawler and Exodus about what they're going to do with this one egg of the very few they have remaining. I guess maybe not all the five are still alive. I don't know if Egg himself is still around. No, but they've so got he got zapped on Krakoa, and this is one of my sort of, I guess, suspend disbelief moments where people were like, just bring back Egg. <laughs> I, thought, I, I thought we saw him in this issue. We did, but he was on Krakoa. So he, so basically they said you had to leave a few people on Krakoa in order to convince the progenitor that he got everybody. Mm-hmm. And so he's one of the ones that got It zapped. would make sense that the first people you'd bring back would be the rest of the five. It's your, your standard wish for more wishes deal, right? But uh, maybe if you did that, then he would be more aware of them. I don't know. But in any event. We need a choose. cool final moment and we're going to get one. So we have Proteus doing his thing with this egg. Uh, meanwhile... You know, Nightcrawler says, so uh, or, uh, Exodus says, this is against all the rules. This is a heresy. I want Cyclops back. I don't want, you know, this schmuck. And Nightcrawler says, no, no, it's not against the rules. It's just against our custom. And, you know, if there's ever a time you got to go against custom, it's when, you know, somewhere between 10 and 99% of the world has, has been reduced to ash, depending on what page you're looking at. So he says, yeah, Cyclops was a great leader, but he's not who Earth needs right now. And our final page turn as the egg's glowing and someone bursts out of the egg and we see a massive right arm holding the shield of Captain America. Captain America coming out of an egg, which <laughs> as a, as a, the first time I read this page, I like, I gasped and I laughed out loud. No, that's exactly my reaction. And that's what you want from a big summer event for sure. Absolutely. This, this is not your, your quiet, you know, thinker kind of a, a, a story. This is, we want a big wow moment for the last page of our penultimate issue of the main event title, and it's Captain America coming out of an egg. So, Ruben, tell me what you think of Captain America coming out of a cone egg. I think he's not a mutant, and this is going to set up that you can bring back anyone. But of course, that creates a huge problem, right, for the Marvel Universe, where oh, we can just kill off any character. And it opens up a, a lot of... A lot of kettles of fish here. So originally, at the beginning of the Krakoan era, I thought that only mutants could come back, right? That like the X gene was somehow part of the resurrection process, and you ain't a mutant, we can't resurrect you. And then it was kind of shaky and hazy, and maybe different writers were interpreting differently. But we've seen the trial of Magneto. And in the trial of Magneto, we saw definitively that the Scarlet Witch, who is not a mutant, could be brought back because she had been backed up. And then we saw the Hellfire Gala. Some, I don't know if they were Americans, some kind of bigwig saying, hey, maybe we can do business with Krakoa if you'll let us back up a few of our, you know, rich, powerful individuals, you know, to have this kind of Krakoan insurance policy. So I think it's been made clear, slowly, but clear now that regular humans can be brought back. Yeah. And they're making a choice not to, which I think is a really good angle, right? It it really pushes the the ethics question of it really you know, does right you because early on you could just say well we just can't that's not the way any of this works you know sorry you don't have to make that choice if it's impossible when we know it's possible and 
presumably the whole world is going to know it's possible because they all saw Captain America die, and presumably they're all going to see him back again. It's going to be out in the open. So is this leading towards <clears throat> edit that edit that burp out, Chip? <laughs> is this all leading towards the end of the resurrection protocols? Because we can't have a Marvel universe where everybody gets backed up, right? That, <laughs> now there'd be a real world war between you know, how much storage do we have? We can't have no one dying on Earth. I mean, arguments now about is the population too big? Is the population crashing? All those things aside, if nobody dies, it's going to get real crowded real fast in an unsustainable kind of way. Well, it's interesting, right? Because you could imagine the mutants deciding, you know, if we like you, we'll bring you back. And then Which is way, way everyone's worse. Everyone's trying to be their buddies. <laughs> it's a little unfair in that situation, right? Yeah, I don't think everyone's going to try to be their buddies. Everyone's going to try to take over Krakoa and, you know, enslave the five, basically, and make make them work for them. I don't, I don't think that's where this is going. So I think if it does go fully, everybody can be resurrected. I think that's that starts to signal the end of resurrection protocols. I think then they're going to have to say, okay, oh, something changed and now we can't do it anymore. I don't think it can be open to everybody. What would be super wild here is if they just, that was the last egg and egg never comes back. <laughs> and there was that deal, right? That Star Fox was kind of alluding to, right? That you're going to need to, you know, all this started because of the resurrection protocol. Exodus says we have so few eggs. He doesn't actually say this is our very, very, very last egg. So we'll see what they do with that. So the other thing is, okay, so the shield coming out of the egg Again, it looks awesome. And that's really all the justification we need. But because we're nitpicky nerds, we're going to talk about it some more. So why does he come out with his shield up? Yeah, it makes no sense. Unless they adjusted his like DNA, right? And now the shield's part of his hand. <laughs> it's like organic web shooters, but for yes. a shield? Yes. Yeah, I like yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I like that one. I don't think that's going to be what the uh, the status quo going forward. That would be that would be hilarious. Like, that's <laughs> that the outcome be, of that this That would be event. freaking awesome. I would love that. That for the next 20 years... He's got an organic shield. Uh, we've seen that Wolverine, for instance, comes back with his adamantium bones. We've also seen like a pool of adamantium on Krakoa that is, oh, this is what we use for that. So it's not like it just, we, we can always wave your hand to say, this is the explanation I've seen other places. Oh, wave your hand, say Proteus, right? He changes reality. So he changed reality to be awesome by having Captain America's shield come back. The shield is weird, right? Because even if he just had it as like a standalone thing, it's like they took the time to paint the stripes and star on it. <laughs> like if this was just like a, you know, generic adamantium shaped shield, I'd be like, okay, well, maybe, maybe they had it and they gave it to him as he was coming out, right? And no one else has come back with accessories, right? Cyclops doesn't come back with his visor on. Uh, Cable doesn't come back with a big ass gun. Or nobody else comes back with stuff. But visually, this would not be as striking without this, right? You'd be like, who the hell's that blonde guy, right? <laughs> Who's that hand, right? Whatever the explanation has to be, I'm 100% okay with it. I just enjoy nitpicking because that's what we do. It's exciting. I mean, I want to know the next issue. One more nitpicky question. When do you think they backed up Steve Rogers? When did Cerebro get a hold of him? What is this Steve Rogers going to remember? What I mean, they might have copied him from a gala, right? When he was... Might have been at the gala, may have been when he was on Krakoa during Trial of Magneto. How much did he forget? How much does he remember? Did did they stop along the way with uh, Nightcrawler? Did did he have a little shortcut that we didn't wasn't shown to us? So the wildest theory that I heard that I kind of love oh, go is it. it's Steve's body, but a mutant's mind. Like we don't know that this is like they could put any mind in here, right? 
And how crazy would that be if, you know, he comes back, but it's not, you know, our Steve Rogers. Fun to think about. I don't think that's actually going to happen, but boy, am I looking forward to seeing what happens. And we don't find out what happens. At least we don't get another issue of this main central event title where we have five weeks of comics between now and when Judgment Day number six comes out. So at least at least 15 different tie-in issues, five weeks without knowing what happens quite next. I'm just going to go with that a little bit more. What if it was, Scott? He had all that experience as Captain Krakoa, right? Now he's Captain America. That would be a hell of a hybrid, huh? Or maybe, maybe it's going to be an, an Eternal in there as well. If we're doing hybrids, have an Avenger, an X-Man, and an Eternal to really sell the title, right? It's Axe. A-X-E. A new character. Yeah, I like it. Captain Earth. Again, not really going to happen, but fun to think about. So we have 15 more issues coming out between now and then. I think most of them are going to take place in this intervening time. I think Kieran Gillen said that some of the issues, at least the ones he's writing, overlap the end of this book a little bit, but at least the ones he's writing mostly take place in between. So we get up to Judgment Day number six, and then maybe we'll have to wait until the Omega issue or even later to see how this this really shakes out for the, the larger Marvel universe, you know, the resurrection protocols. Uh, but, but clearly, a lot of this is going to have to get undone somehow. We saw cities destroyed. We saw huge numbers of heroes die. We're not going to spend years rebuilding with 10 heroes left. So that's why I think it almost feels too big because this can't stick. Jim was giving me crap about not giving a score to these issues. Okay. This is definitely an 8.5 for me. Maybe even 8.8. There are flaws, but even with the flaws, it's just fun. Great art, exciting story, page turns where I was like having emotional reactions to... I'd be in in the same range, 8.5 to 9. Again, knowing that there are challenges going forward, setting up challenges that maybe future books aren't going to live up to, but for this issue itself, it's, it's all wow for me. Love it. So that is our main book for this week. And now we have a couple tie-ins. We're going to talk about a little bit, but they're nowhere near as big as that. How, how, how could they be? What other book could be as big as Judgment Day number five when we see all that crazy stuff? Yeah, these were the next two Avengers 60 and the Fantastic Four issue. I felt like were the same story. Uh, one of them I liked a lot better than the other, um, but they're both inconsequential. Right. So if you're just if you're following the main story, you do not need to buy Avengers number 60. You certainly don't need to buy Fantastic Four number 47. Uh, so Mark Russell is writing this issue of Avengers, which is weird because it's been Jason Aaron writing issues one through 59 and is going to be then finishing up his run talking about, you know, gathering this whole multiversal set of Avengers going forward. Uh, and Mark Russell is not a writer I've been super crazy about. He has a very particular style. He has messages he wants to get across, and he wants you to know that he has messages he wants to get across, and he wants you to know just how brave and smart he is for getting those messages across. So that's always rubbed me the wrong way. But I'm going to say that this is, on its own, you know, it's completely incompatible with the rest of the event. I I don't know if he wasn't part of the Slack, didn't get the memo. It doesn't make any sense in the main story. But just as an issue, it's not bad, which is by far the nicest thing I've ever said about a Mark <laughs> Russell story. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm a little more positive than that. I, I can make it fit, but it's definitely just a, a character study on Hawkeye getting judged with some jokes that I kind of chuckled over. And um, the one thing I, I appreciated here was he does really go into that, like, what's the criteria for the judgment question that we've batted around repeatedly and 
he he asked the same questions that you and I have been asking. A lot of people have been asking. He doesn't get a satisfying answer, but at least he asked the question. At least it's like admitting that this was a big issue, right? For me, that's that's partially just something I needed. So this takes place in New York City, and I guess it's after the progenitor has appeared, right? I think. Yeah, it's probably the twenty-four hour period where humanity's being judged. In this New York City, or at least this part of New York City, it's business as usual. Diners are open, you know, you're doing your regular superhero business, people are walking around, and it's just kind of a regular, you know, a regular day, you know. So I don't know if again, it seems inconsistent, but I know you're gonna say that, but I let's talk about nine eleven, right? <laughs> Which I'm sure you did not expect this conversation to go that way. I was I was trying not to go there actually earlier. Okay, go ahead. I, I remember that day, right? I went to work and I had a regular day. And I remember like watching the news stories develop and certainly it was like a huge day, right? And it was just everyone was shocked. We didn't know what the future was gonna be, but we tried to get through it sort of the regular way. So I'm okay with this a little bit. I think this is probably right. It doesn't really you don't realize the world's changed until, you know, a day or two later. Or even less controversial, like when COVID became a thing, right? Like I remember seeing the the clips on YouTube and you're like, well, that's pretty wild what's going on in China. We'll go with it. So Clint, and this is very much the modern Hawkeye, right? The kind of a schmo, kind of a loser. He's a hero, but he also messes up a lot. And and it's the one where everyone is going to say, oh, I, I wanted the other Hawkeye. It's it's that version, which is, again, not my favorite, but it's who's been existed ever since Matt Fraction. Yeah, yeah. I guess Matt Fraction changed it. But what happened to Mockingbird? Is she still in his life or did that just kind of get taken out? It seems like now that Paramore is always Black Widow, which I know that's the MCU well, thing. Right but. now, Hawkeye is on the Thunderbolts and the new Thunderbolts. And we actually see in the first panel here, he's got the Thunderbolts logo on his belt. Mm-hmm. So that tie-in is at least there in the art. My experience with Hawkeye ends at like 1996. <laughs> so back in the West Coast Adventure pre, days. Pre-fraction. They, they were connected, yeah. And I don't remember Black Widow being the like love interest, but obviously that's what it's been since the MCU movies. Sure. So he goes into a diner after completing a mission that we, we find out later we kind of screwed up, and he sees Natasha there, Black Widow, except of course it's not after Natasha. She announces right to him, hey, I'm actually the celestial appropriate in the form. And they have a whole chat. And I don't think, again, not consistent, the other progenitor we've seen, you know, speaking to us through narration boxes and not really understanding, you know, humanity so much, doesn't match with me with this version of the progenitor speaking through Natasha's voice. You know, having some some friendly chats, having some French fries, enjoying having a corporeal body to eat a cheeseburger. <laughs> it, it just doesn't work. And also, she talks she talks about oh. We, like we, the celestials, this celestial continuum are judging you, and here's what we're judging you on. And again, our progenitor celestial has no connection, as far as we can tell, to any other celestial. It's been Frankenstein together. It's got part of Tony Stark in there. Who, who knows what Mr. Sinister has done to it? It's It wouldn't be speaking this way. So I'm not sure what, what letter they sent to, to uh, Mark Russell and said, oh, here's your remit, here's your job but it doesn't feel like it's actually part of the story. I didn't actually think about the us reference, yeah, because the progenitor is not part of the celestial. No, again, that, that's been my prediction, one of my many incompatible predictions going forward, is that, hey, maybe the rest of the celestials have come out, and you know maybe that is what's going to pull our bacon out of the fire, because they say, hey, he's not with us, he's a rogue celestial, we'll take him out. But going forward, this celestial, in the, in the form of Natasha, says, you have to prove, Clint, if I'm judging you now, 
you have to prove that you give as much joy and meaning to the universe as a mailbox, <laughs> which is funny. Okay, I'll give it to you. Okay, Mark Russell, that's pretty funny. Especially where we then see all these people just love the hell out of this particular yes, mailbox. and that also cracked me up. I was, oh, like, yeah. I, I was like, whatever, of course you're better than a mailbox. And I was like, wait a second. Yeah, he keeps doing, he thinks he's doing better, but all these people say, oh, mailbox, you saved me. You get these cookies to my son. I'm a, you know, a, a little girl feels grown up. It's, you know, it's, it's funny stuff. But again, this is joy and meaning, which is that what the progenitor has been looking for in the other book? I, I don't think so. But I already said I'm not complaining about that anymore. So he goes and talks to Luke Cage, who we find out later is not actually Luke Cage, it's the progenitor again. And they have kind of a surface level conversation about good and evil and consequentialism and deontology and other philosophy words I, I read in a book sometime. And basically they come down to what's good and evil? Oh, that's that's the lesson of this book. Because Clint does another job where he accidentally takes out an assassin who was going to do some good because the assassin was an assassin and a bad guy. So was that good? Was it bad? Ah. And then he gets a letter uh, with his judgment. And this letter from you know Black Widow slash the progenitor, it sounds a hell of a lot to me like Star Fox's failed speech. All those things about, oh, you know, morality is complicated and you got to keep trying learning and being better and knowing more today than you know yesterday. And this is the progenitor who cut that off with a big thumbs down and started murdering dudes. So as a story itself, it's kind of fine. It's all right. The final lesson is as hand wavy as it kind of has to be, but it was an okay story and it looks good. Yeah, you're you're dropping my score in the context <laughs> of the event. I, I think you've persuaded me that it, it's it not ends good. with a big uh, you know live love laugh dance like nobody's watching kind of energy to it, which is not what I want in the celestial. Yeah, but as a standalone, it, there were good moments where I just kind of laughed. Didn't make me angry, which again makes it the best Mark Russell comic ever. <laughs> Anything else you want to add about uh, Avengers number sixty? No, I mean this is better than what we're getting from Aaron's. Fair enough. Okay, so onward to Fantastic Four number 47. You gotta give it a score, man. You gotta give it a score. I'm gonna say six. I'm gonna go with the Kiss My Grit six. Sure, why not? Okay. Fantastic Four number 47, which is only kind of theoretically a tie-in. It's only a tie-in because they mention that, oh, Reed has locked himself away because he needs to think about this. It's his Archimedes tank, his think tank. So the, the point is that he's unaware of what's going on in the outside world because he has to do his, you know, big brain stuff to try to come up, formulate a response. So it's really a Sue Storm joint. And it's this Obliette, what's her name? Obliette Midas tries to attack the Baxter building, use this celestial incursion as an opportunity to, to steal stuff, including, I guess, the big reveal is, because this is a, a two-issue arc. We have another one of these coming up. The big thing she wants to steal is Reed's brain. And we have lots and lots of people, including Reed's narration boxes, saying just how amazing and wonderful Sue Storm is over and over and over again. We had this conversation before we started recording, and I'm 100% on board with this. Um, show me that she's amazing. Don't just tell me that over and over and over again. I mean, I didn't Absolutely. see anything Sue, in here. Sue that... Storm is an incredible character, but I don't need other characters to tell me how amazing she is. Just like in DC, I don't need everyone telling... Lois Lane, how great she is. It's that same cringy feeling. It's it's kind of the feeling we got when Cyclops went up and said, only my wife can judge me to the progenitors. It's, it's just laying it on a little bit thick. 
I've worked some bad jobs, you know, and I've fortunately kind of gotten to a good place lately. But when I see things where like, she's like, oh, she knows the name of the janitor. I'm like, who effing cares, right? Like, what are you paying him? (laughs) Is he getting a good salary? Does he have good benefits? And I kind of get the sense that like, no, he's probably just getting paid what you normally get paid for a job. Yeah, we're supposed to, oh, she's so wonderful. She knows the name of the ethnically ambiguous, but kind of non-white janitor. That makes her wonderful because that's what we do. Like you could do this so much better where it's like, hey, you know, I'm going to write, I don't know what she's going to do, but basically like help him get beyond being a janitor, right? Without- I think we probably, yeah, I think we've seen the the last last of him. He's She saved him. He saved her. He's, he's done his job. And I mean, as just is some cool art, there's some cool fights with uh, she's doing some good stuff with her, her shields or invisibility. You see Ben Grimm doing some cool stuff, fighting some uh, mindless ones. So yeah, if you want to see some Fantastic Four battles, you could certainly do worse. Is this Obliad character related to Dormammu? No, she is uh, the daughter of... So what? what's up with the mindless ones then? I mean, that's the thing. The other thing that really threw me off. I'm like, what are they doing here? I thought those were Dormammu henchmen, but... Yeah, I'm not sure where they came from either, but it's it's somebody, you know, big and goony for Ben Grimm to beat up because you can't have him punch regular people. They would just... It's like you can't have the, the Hulk fight regular people. There'd just be a, a fine red mist in the room. You got somebody you can clobber. So that are all the books. Did you, you want to give a score for this? If we're being fair, it's probably a six, but it actively made me angry. So I'd probably give it a five, five. It's just a lot of text, which doesn't say anything, but Sue Storm is a great person without showing us that she's actually great. And then coming up next week, we have theoretically two books that are part of the event. We have Amazing Spider-Man number 10, which is going to be, we just had the Hellfire tie-in. This is going to be the actual Axe tie-in. Our other issue next week is our first Kieran Gillen, what they call the Story Essential One-Shots, according to Marvel.com. This is Axe Avengers. And there is not part of the event itself, but X-Men number 15 comes out next week. The Solicit, which I did actually look at. I say I don't. I usually don't. It's listed as a Children of the Vault story. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will see you next time.